I recently heard a story about a 17-year-old boy without any parents being raised by his grandmother in a two-bedroom apartment along with 14 other people. A young couple living close to him brought him into their small Christian community and they have been a safe and nurturing family for this young man, family that this young man has never experienced. Since becoming a Christian, this young man has been eager to go on a short-term missions trip. His family, his new family, paid for him to go to Romania for a whole month. This experience has turned this shy and reserved boy back into a confident and outspoken disciple of Jesus. He'll be headed back overseas this summer. I heard another story recently. A young girl found out she was pregnant, dropped out of school, and was considering abortion as the way out of her troubles. Yet this lonely and terrified girl also became part of a small Christian community. She soon stopped using drugs, gave birth to a healthy baby, and is re-enrolled in school and will graduate later this year. She had no money for clothes. Thank you, by the way. She had no money for clothes or other baby stuff. So the girls in this new community threw her a baby shower to take care of her needs and celebrate her resolve to trust God with her life and to care for her new child. Want one more? This past spring, a divorced middle-aged woman, overwhelmed by the responsibility of raising two teenagers on her own, is befriended by a small group of Christians in her suburban neighborhood. After a while, she starts attending a weekly gathering where this group would read stories from the Bible and ponder and discuss God's gracious dealings with men through history. One night, while hearing about the faith of Joseph and the grace that he received to forgive his brothers, she began to see the difference between just church attendance and what it means to walk in grace living in the presence of Jesus. I could go on and on. And I'm telling you these stories because I want you guys to get a sense of what God is doing through Redemption Hill. Folks all over this city have been banding together in small Christian communities intent on the mission of God to see redemption spread and to see grace spread from person to person. Today, we are going to take some time to learn more about what God is doing through the communities of Redemption Hill. And we're going to take time to then commission the leaders and pray for them as they lead these small bands of Christians that exist all over the city into the mission that God has for them. To see this city transformed by the simple presentation and demonstration of the gospel, just like we just heard in these stories. So we've been working through 1 John as a church, and we'll see in a moment how John, in 1 John, sees the creation of true Christian community. You'll, You'll see how it's connected to what we've been studying. But I wanted to pull back a moment and take a look at one of Paul's descriptions of the church. This will give us a pretty clear picture of of the big ideas that we hope to cultivate in our communities. So let's go to Colossians chapter 1, and we'll get started. Verse 
verse 6. It says, We thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. When Paul was in Ephesus for, for about three years, this young man, Epaphras, visited. He was a native of Colossae, only about 120 miles from Ephesus. He believed the gospel that Paul was teaching. He might have been on a business trip going through Ephesus. We don't know why he was there. But he heard the message about Jesus, and then he returned with that good news back to his hometown, Colossae. And what we, all we know is that after a while, a church sprung up in that place because they were hearing and believing the good news about Jesus. Now, Paul heard about this church and all the great things that are happening through this church, very much just like the stories that we heard about. He was hearing the stories from the city in Colossae about a church that had started there and what the, and what the grace of God was doing among people. He was hearing these stories. So it's very telling, though, that when, he's, when, when he is being thankful for this church, being thankful for the fruit of the gospel, that he first mentions their faith in Christ Jesus. He's subtly reminding us that it always begins with what God has done for us, not what we do for God. It'd be very easy for him to start to thank God for the fruit that he saw in this church. But he says, no, I am thankful for the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. I am thankful that you understand and believe what God has already done for you. We must realize what God has done for us before we can do anything for him. So this well-known passage in Romans reads like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Guys, we are so eager, so eager to know what the will of God is and get on with it, aren't we? We so much just want a list of do's and don'ts. We want a roadmap. We don't want to know exactly what God wants of us. And we want to just get after it so we can check off our boxes and feel good about ourselves, feel like we've, we've actually done something good for, for the day and put our head in the pillow at night. It doesn't work that way. We see here that Paul's appeal for them to know the will of God and do it begins with this. I appeal to you, therefore, brother, brothers, by the mercies of God. As we talk about what our communities are doing in the city and what we as the body of Christ, Redemption Hill, is doing in the city, we must remember that it begins with what God has already done for us. It's really easy to do this when we talk about community. It's so easy to talk about what are the specific things that we are supposed to be doing in community together. What are the specific things that it means to live out the Christian life? And again, we want that list 
But we don't have a list. These are the questions that we, that we ask when we ask God, what does it mean for us to live in light of the gospel on mission? We ask, who is God? And then what has he done for us? You can write these down. These might be helpful later on. Who is God? What has he done for us? And then, who are we? What does, have, what does what Jesus has done for us on the cross, what does that change about our core identity as a person? We know that God is not, God is not after us becoming better versions of ourselves. He's after us becoming absolutely brand new people. So we have to begin is what kind of people has God made us by his grace? Not what kind of new people have we become because we've really tried hard, because we've read some really good books, and we've applied all the biblical principles we can think of. No, we go first as who is God? What has he done for us? And what does that make us? And then we say, then, what is it that we are to do? Think about it. It's just like creation. Our existence begins not by our work, but by God's work. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Our existence and our meaning comes from what God has already done. Yet, so oftentimes we live every day like our existence and our meaning comes from our work and what we do and what we accomplish. So as we drill into community what it means to live with God together on mission, we have to, we have to be reminded this begins with who God is and what he's done. So, as we looked at this idea, and as we studied the story of God's redemptive plan in in the Bible, we had four key identities that stood out to us, and they're all right here in this passage in 1 Colossians, and I could have almost picked numerous passages. In fact, it's really hard for me to pick which, which passage to really walk through this morning, because these four identities are universal in the scriptures. I'm going to give them to you as, as, as we walk through this. So we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, back in verse 3, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The love that you have for all the saints. Paul was so grateful because the love that this church had for each other was making its way the news of it was making its way all the way back to Ephesus. It says, when you drill down into this, the love you have for all the saints, the Bible and 1 John uses particular language to describe the love that the gospel produces between fellow believers. Now, we all know John 3.16, right? If you've ever watched a football game, you've seen John 3.16 in the back of the end zone, Right? And I almost, I'll bet you I could pull most people in here and you could quote it for me. Whether you believe it or not, whether you understand it or not, I, I know I could pull it out of you. It was, it was, I was delighted at a party a couple years ago. I ran into who, a woman who's now a really good friend of ours who literally, she thought John's 3, 316 was just simply like a license plate. I mean, she didn't even know that it was a book in the Bible and a verse and a chapter and And I was able to explain to her what the verse meant. Um, Of course, she wasn't expecting the full explanation. She just wanted to know what it was. But I took opportunity to explain. It was was fun. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whosoever would believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that really well. But you know where you can find the best and right response to John 3.16? 1 John 3.16. Let's look at that together. From now on, I hope when you hear and think of John 3.16, you automatically think now of 1 John 3.16 as well. Because it says this. By this we know love. We were just talking about how God so loved the world. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So, oftentimes when we talk about love in the body of Christ, we're talking about love between brothers, we get really romantic with this verse especially. Like it's some general sort of good feeling toward all Christians everywhere. But we need to remember that John was writing to a specific church, probably Ephesus. And so, and it was a small group of believers. And so John had particular people in mind when he wrote that. And the church, when they heard this, that we need to lay down our lives for the brothers, they knew exactly who John was exhorting them to love. This was not a general kind of feel-good Valentine card about how the church should love one another. These were specific people that God was calling them to lay down their lives for. So we want to take this metaphor about how we treat other Christians seriously. We read it so fast, brothers. It's, this is, and we say this word so quickly, and we greet one, they're like, hey bro, this is not what it's talking about. You don't really mean brother. Because you could say anything else in that and it would be just as meaningful. Like, what's up? And howdy. And whatever else you say. But this is what brother means. It means that we should import all of the commitment and the responsibility that we find for each other in a tight nuclear family and the love for a particular people. We should import all the meaning that family is and import that into our relationships with a particular group of people that aren't necessarily your natural family, but God has made you a new family. And that's why he says, love the brothers. So when we talk about community here and we talk about the first identity, which is family, you can write this down. This is the first identity, family. And let me just read this and you'll get a sense of what we mean when we talk about community and living out this one identity of family here. And I was, just, I was rereading again this, this this morning. It really warmed my heart. And I really hope that even as, as, as I read this, that God will warm your heart toward loving the brothers, even as Jesus has already loved us. A Redemption Hill community is a group of believers who live and experience life together like family. I will, by the way, you don't, you know, don't try to write all this down. Just take it in. I'll, send me an email. I'll send it to everybody. Um, and this is in all of our documents as well. They see God as their father because of their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the new regeneration brought about by the Holy Spirit. 
This means they have and they know a divine love that leads them to love one another as brothers and sisters. They treat one another as children of God, deeply loved by the Father in everything, sharing their money, time, resources, needs, hurts, successes. They know each other well. Now, this knowledge includes knowing each other's stories and having familiarity with one another's strengths and struggles in regards to belief in the gospel and its application to all of life. They speak the gospel... They, uh, excuse me. I'll try that again. They speak the gospel truth to one another, regularly building each other up in love. They also love the people around them as if they were part of the family, showing them what the love of the Father looks like, and in so doing, inviting them to experience life in the family of God. It isn't... Doesn't that sound great? I mean... It's this kind of family that produces the fruit that we've already read about this morning. And I just, I just imagine, as we continue to lean into this idea of family, what God will continue to do through our lives as we, as we continue to love him and love each other in this particular way. So let me keep going. Um, Colossians 1.6 again. So of this hope, the hope of heaven, you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, and indeed, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. We see here that, there, that the gospel actually had to come to the folks in Colossae, brought by Epaphras. Epaphras was used by God to bring the good news about Jesus to Colossae. Now, Paul, in his writings, has a very particular word about those that are sent by God with the good news to a particular people. I'll see if you can catch this word in 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ Jesus, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is calling us ambassadors. Do we see our life in this world as being sent by God to represent himself to a people that need to know about Jesus? Is this just an an idea for us? Or has this sunk down into our souls as something as close to our being as it would for me to call you a man or a woman or a father or a mother or a brother or sister? Has it sunk into you as deep as that, that you are God's ambassador, being sent by God to a people with the good news about Jesus? Or is it just a vague idea that you would hope to live up to someday? We don't have that option. If we are in Christ, if we call Jesus Savior, if we call God our Father, we are ambassadors. This is what he's made us. And this is how we articulate their second identity that that we want to cultivate, ambassador. God's family is also sent like the Son by the Spirit to proclaim the good news, the gospel, and fulfill the commission of Jesus Therefore, a Redemption Hill community is made up of spirit-led 
and spirit-filled people who radically reorient their lives for the mission of making disciples of a particular group of people or place. This means people's schedules, resources, and decisions are now collectively built around reaching people together. Now I know as you hear that, a couple questions are going to pop up or maybe even arguments. And if, you, if it was allowed, you might stand up and ask me a question. But let me just anticipate. You may be saying, all right, I get the idea that I'm an ambassador, but why do I have to do this with other people? <laughs> It'd be a lot easier if I could just do it by myself, right? Why do I have to do it alongside other people and with them? Two quick things. I could spend a whole couple hours on this, but just two quick things. John, the same author of 1 John, in his gospel said, by this, this is, this is Jesus' words, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then he echoes this in, again in his letter in 1 John. He says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's the deal. We cannot fully declare and demonstrate the gospel by ourselves. It is clear that the full demonstration and declaration of the gospel can only happen in the context where someone can observe and see what gospel relationships and brotherly love is like. So do we think about our ambassadorship as necessitating connection and love with other people? And another thing, on a very practical level, we need encouragement in this, folks. Jesus, think about it, Jesus never sent anyone anywhere alone. He sent the 12. He sent folks in twos. He sent groups at one point of 72 people. We see Paul always going in groups with people to take the gospel to plant churches in a city. And if you want to get real serious, not even Jesus came alone. He said the Father and the Holy Spirit were always with him. So he never calls us to do this alone. He always calls us to do it in the context of relationships. Let's keep going. That was number two. So verse five and six says, The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. It says, It also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. See, the gospel is not only bearing fruit in this city and then moves on to another city and continues to bear fruit there. What Paul is saying here is that, is that the gospel continues to bear fruit among the church that has already believed it. It means that they're continuing, they continuing to believe the gospel and continuing to understand it in truth. And because of that, more fruit is happening. They're being conformed to the image of Christ together as they help each other understand the good news. It's only as a community that we can continually grow in our understanding of the grace of God. And as we do that, our desires change and we are transformed. And as this is what it means to continue in the good news. Now John, in his gospel as well, records a specific term for those people who continue to grow in the grace of God. See if you can catch it in this verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we see that, see that those that continue to believe the gospel and to let the gospel dig deeper into their hearts and for them to dig deeper into the riches of Christ explained to us in the gospel, those people are called disciples. Not those who just hear the word once and believe, but those who continue and abide. Those are disciples. Now, instead of giving you a really cool definition, I'm going to give you Dietrich Bonhoeffer on this. This quote has shaped me and helped me so much. I hope it, I hope it helps us this morning. The idea of discipleship and why we need each other in it. It says, but God has put the word into the mouth of men in order that, they may, that, in order that it might be communicated to other men. When one of us, when one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother and in the mouth of another man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian to speak God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain or discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself. He needs his brother, man, as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's word is sure. And this also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. And as such, God permits them to meet together and gives them community. Their fellowship is founded solely on Jesus Christ and the alien righteousness that he brings. All we can say, therefore, is that a community of Christians springs solely from the biblical message of justification of man through grace alone. This alone is the basis for the longing of Christians for one another. If, this is, if, this is tr- if we can be honest this morning and say, you know what, I, my heart is not moved like you're describing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor, we can see this, that it's the message of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, is the basis of Christians longing for one another. So please hear me in this. This is not just a command to go love one another. (laughs) This is not just a curse that, hey, quit being by yourselves, go love one another. This is a call to remember that we have been justified by faith, that we have been saved by grace, And it is our common understanding and need for Christ that brings us together. Now, this happens so often as we confess our sins, we continue to confess our sins and our need for him. Now, let me tell you, just like Robert said last week, you do not need to confess your sins to one another in order for you to be forgiven. You confess your sins to God and you, are, and you are forgiven on the basis of Jesus' perfect life and death in your place. However, if you do not confess your sins also to one another, you will be alone. 
You might be forgiven, but you won't know the sweetness and the joy fully of that forgiveness and of that redemption unless you share it with one another. That's what, that's what we're learning in this. Does that make sense? Does it, does it make sense? You, you don't have to confess your sins to one another to be, to be forgiven. I'm not saying that. This isn't like con- confession if some of you grew up in a Catholic context where you had to confess your sins to a particular person and they had to forgive you. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that you can be forgiven of your sins by God through faith alone because of what Jesus has done on the cross alone. But you'll be alone if you don't share that with one another. And we'll, and we'll miss the joy and the power that that testimony is for those that still need Jesus. So, simply put, we need each other to continue in Jesus' words to be disciples. Now, the last one, verse 7. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant. Let me say a quick word about Epaphras here. Epaphras was a good pastor. He was an able teacher. He literally brought the good news to, this, to, to Colossae and a church was created. But we see very quickly though, even though he was an able teacher, that the church was being, being distracted and damaged even by heresy. People were teaching the church lies about Jesus. They were denying his humanity. They were denying his divinity, saying that Jesus was something altogether different from either of those and he was more like an angel. The church was also being, being distracted or confused by those saying that you could be restored to a relationship with God through your works alone. And so Epaphras, not knowing exactly what to do or say, knowing that he needed help, you know what he did? This was before email, this is before phones, this is before any sort of mass transit. Epaphras left Colossae and his family and traveled 1,300 miles to visit Paul in jail in Rome so that he could help the church that he was responsible for. It's no wonder that Paul calls this guy a fellow servant. This letter that, that we're reading right now is a result of that conversation that he had with Paul in jail, written back to the church to, to, to help the church remember who Jesus was and to, be, and to be defended, to be kept from this heresy. Here's the challenge in this for us. To see the grace of God continue to bear fruit in all the world, we must not only declare the gospel, but we must demonstrate the gospel. It will not just take our words, but our sacrifice. Servants. Jesus is Lord, and we are his servants. This is how we communicate it. A redemption community serves those around them as, those, as though they are serving Jesus. And in doing so, they give a foretaste of what life will be like under the rule and reign of Jesus. Living as servants to the king who served others as he served presents a tangible witness to Jesus' kingdom and the power of the gospel to change lives. We want to serve in such a way that demands a gospel explanation. Lives that cannot be explained in any other way than by the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. Is that encouraging? Is that exciting? See what might happen if we would band together and actually 
take these things that are really good ideas and, and with all of God's grace and with all that we can understand, lean into family, ambassador, servant, and disciple and see what God might do among us. Well, now we're going to take a moment to recognize, I want to tell you a little bit about the Redemption Hill communities that we have right now. And I'm going to ask the leaders just to stand up real quickly as, as I do this. And then, um, and then they're all going to come up here and the elders, we're going to pray for them and their communities and commission them um, as, they, as, as they live out these for, for this year. Every community, every year, writes what we call community commitments. This is where they detail how they feel like God is leading them to live out family and ambassador and servant and disciple. We, the elders, the church, we don't, we don't give any specifics. We just teach on this. We see what it's like in the scriptures, and we say, you guys, go figure it out. Go figure it out. What does it mean to really be these things? So I'm going to start off with fan community. Fan community one, we're Brandon and Ashley. Where are you guys? You all in here? Sweet. There he is. Y'all look around at Brandon. Wave at him in the back. Come on. All right, this is fan community one. These guys love VCU students. Their community meets um, in the Randolph area, which is right off campus. Um, so they're, this year they're purposing to, to involve VCU students in their lives to help make disciples of them. Um, they meet with students on the VCU campus at noon, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The community is coming around that with Ray as he leads that. Um, these folks are all also going to start caring for foster kids that are getting ready to age out of the foster care system. They're purposely going to invite these, these, these older kids in, into their lives and in, into their community and help them transition out of their foster homes into, into real life. Van Community 2. Where's Mark and Mary Early? Where are you guys? Sweet. Andrew Hemby, are you in here? Stand up. This is fan community number two. Thanks, guys. What I love about these folks is that they are purposing, purposing to share their life stories with one another around a meal this year. So they're going to take about 30 minutes, and over dinner, they're going to go around and share the good, bad, and the ugly about what their life is like and how God's message of, of redemption has shaped their story. And so they're going to do that with, with one another, living out that family identity. And they're also going to lean into helping single moms. Um, they're, they're, they're going to be a part of the new East End Pregnancy Resource Center that's starting up in Church Hill. And they're going to contribute their time, money, and resources to see that be a reality. So fan three, where are you guys? This is Christian and Amanda Hayes and Will Phillips. Will's with the kids, living out that servant identity with the kids. These guys throw the best parties in our church. They hope to meet friends and to bring their, their friends that they might each have in, in individually into the web of the community relationships through throwing cool parties. They're also gonna, going to start caring about and praying for um, the international refugees that come to Richmond. Um, every year, thousands of, of refugees land in the city of Richmond, being displaced from their homes, and they literally show up here with no money, no family, and no language, and they need our help. And these guys are going to love them and care, care for them in the name of Jesus. So, the museum district, Stephen Lindsay Krieger, 
Thanks. Stand up. Wave at everybody. Sweet. Um, these guys have been so diligent along the disciple identity. Almost everyone in their community are in what we call 3D groups, which is three guys and three girls getting together on a weekly basis to read the Bible together, to ask really tough questions of one another, to see how the gospel is, is, is at work or needs to be at work in, in their lives, and then praying for each other. So love that. Um, Monument Tapestry. Where's Zach and Greta? Are they in here? Sweet. I want to turn, turn around. Zach, wave again. Sweet. Um, along with uh, Matt Bristol, these folks have really bent their heart outward toward caring for the already existing international communities in Richmond. There are literally pockets of, of in, in, in internationals that all speak the same language, that are banding together through a group called the International Church of Christ, and they're hoping to partner with them and to, and to have their community and one of these other communities do, do stuff together and do life together. These folks are just waiting for someone to speak English to them and, and to tell them about what it means to be American, which means follow Jesus, right? <laughs> so, um, and these folks have all also been so diligent and so careful to take care of Matt and Betty over the last few, few, few months. I'm so grateful um, for you guys. Thank you. Glen Allen community, Ray and Tiffany. I'll stand up, wave, folks. Um, these guys have been in the baby business. They have been caring for twins that have been born um, to families in their community. And also um, the Chans have their new child. So they've been in the babysitting business and take, taking care of folks that way. Um, They've also had recent, they recently had dinner with a missionary from India. And so they're going to continue to pray and support this missionary um, with their time and with their money and with their prayers. And you know what that means. You know what that means, don't you? God's going to call some of you guys to go be there. So just be careful. Um, <laughs> Northside community, Ryan and Jen Burns. All right, everyone turn around, wave at Ryan. Um, these guys live right over here, and their community is taking care of this school. They feel particularly led by God to care for the teachers here, too, and they're going to be volunteering at events and, and asking how they can be a blessing to the school that we meet with or meet in every single week. And they're also probably going to start two new communities this year. Um, Churchill community, number one, Nick and Megan, you guys in here? Sweet. Turn around. All of our community leaders like to stand in the back, if you haven't noticed. Um, Nick and Megan, raise your hand again so people can see you. Sweet. Um, these guys have been fantastic at looking for opportunities to serve their neighbors up in Church Hill. And they're also going to be starting a new community soon um, at an undisclosed, a yet-to-be-disclosed location. But um, Church Hill Community 2, Jeremiah Taylor. Sweet. Um, thanks, guys. Um, supporting Andrea and Boyd Harrington, who are serving in Asia right now. Um, they are holding the rope, so to speak, as this family goes and serves the Lord full-time as missionaries in Asia. They are helping, keeping us informed, and they're praying for them. And we're hearing great stories about what God is doing through this couple. And um, the, 
this community is purposed to pray for them and to, and to support them. They're also incredibly involved in Churchill activities and tutoring. And the stories that keep coming out of their service and mentoring of, of, of kids and after school pro- pro- programs and ministering to the families in the Churchill area are just inspiring. So that's what they're, they're going to be about this year. The Arboretum community, this is on the south side. Um, Dave and Dana Barrow. All right, everyone turn around and look at the sound booth. This time, not because something went wrong, but because they're actually doing good back there. Um, Dave and Dana Barrow and Shelby and Carrie Murphy. Um, In their community, they have three different elementary schools represented. Reams Road, Elkhart Middle, and Atlee. Um, They have teachers in their community from all all, all those schools. So they're purposely going to be volunteering at those schools, getting, getting to know other teachers and loving that community. Um, they're also going to start, they also attend the 9 a.m. service together as a community. So they continue to live, live, live like family, even though we have two, two services on Sunday. And the tween community, did my wife sneak in here? Sweet. Everyone turn around, wave Rebecca. Is Lee in here? No, Lee's second service, isn't he? So my wife, along with Lee, Lee Kostick, lead this. Um, every few months, we, we begin a new Bible reading project with our tweens. And this involves kids all the way from 10 to, I think we have 16. And um, so right now they're working on the God project where they're studying the attributes of God. And when they gather every other week, um, they're always taking time to learn about a particular unreached people group that they can be praying for and hope to, hope to see the gospel planted there. Um, we have the University of Richmond community with Andrew Cook and David Burchard. I know they'll be in the second service. Um, but their intent on loving their roommates and seeing the gospel spread to those that live closest with them. You know it's hardest to demonstrate the gospel to those you live with, right? But, but my, my life was profoundly impacted at the University of Richmond through the roommate that I got randomly selected to be with my freshman year. My life was absolutely transformed through his testimony and through his life. And so, awesome. So there's a few communities that we have in transition that, that haven't netted out exactly what they're after. Like the Forest Hill community, um, that's the one that my wife and I lead. We're pretty much focused on the corridor of Forest Hill Avenue, which is mostly in the city of Richmond, but on the south side. So we get to pay tolls and taxes whenever we go there. Um, but we're committed to that cor- corridor, basically going from the, from the 400 all the way to the Bonaire community. So Westover Hills community, fun and dynamic bunch. We're trying to figure out a collective direction for them. Uh, the Midlothian community, Matt and Chrissy Black have led this community so well. And they're on sabbatical right now. So Rebecca and I are stepping in and, and we're going to help shape communities for our community, or help shape commitments for um, a community in Midlothian and the Bonaire community as well. Um, still in transition, and they're figuring out what they want their commitments to be. And as soon as we nail those out, we'll, uh, we'll let everyone know exactly what those are. So I wanted to let you know about all those, even the ones that are in tra- transition. You are free to check them out and join them as well. So, all right, all, all the leaders that I called out, if you guys would c- come on up here, and then Ray and Robert and Matt. Um, we'll pray for you guys. Let's pray. Father God, in your presence, celebrating all that you've done for all of us, 
and your divine plan that we live out your gospel in community in your power and for your glory we commission each of these young people to service as leaders of Redemption Hill gospel communities and we ask Lord that you would lead and guide each community that you would grow each community that there would be great fruitfulness and transformed lives that all of us would learn and grow together that we would suffer with each other that we would celebrate with each other that we would achieve a unity that is the kind of unity that you prayed for in John 17 that we would all be one so that the world would truly believe that you are God, that you were sent by God the Father to rescue us, that you are whom you claim to be. Lord, I thank you for each of these leaders and for each member of each of these communities. I just know that you have awesome plans for them, and I celebrate the fact that you choose to accomplish most of the ministry of Redemption Hill in and through these communities. And I pray, Lord, for anyone within the hearing of my voice who is not now a part of one of these communities to pray and to seek your will that they might truly experience the fullness of all that you intend for them here at Redemption Hill. Thank you again, Lord, for each of these young people. Draw them closer to you and to each other. Let us be known by our love Lord, our love just overflowing. Thank you. I pray this in the powerful, precious, life-transforming name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Cool. So now before we, before we take communion today, I, I just want to say one more thing. I know that... I know... I hear stories um, from a lot of you that, that aren't necessarily a part of one of these communities on a regular basis, that you guys are also living out family, ambassador, you're being great servants and you're making disciples. So please know that we love that and we are so excited to hear about what God is doing through all of us here. Not just those that, that, that band together along these commitments, but those of you that are, that are in different ways and different things that are maybe off the radar. I mean, the moms are getting together, guys get together all the, all, all, all the time and in different places and different ways. And we know that you're living out aspects of these identities all the time. And we love that. Um, these, this is just a particular way that we know to cultivate these things in, in a holistic way that we might see the most fruit from the gospel possible. So please know, um, please know that. And, and so just real quick, um, we're going to have some folks from each of the different regions um, along the back at the end. So if you've got questions about a particular area that you live in, um, we'll have some community leaders back there. Please just go find someone in, in, in your region and ask them questions about how to, how, how to be involved. be prepared to take communion today, I want us to remember again that Jesus died not so that we would become better people, but we would become new people. 
It's his life and it's his resurrection and it's his death that's the motivation for our community on mission. And it's for his glory, not ours, that we commit ourselves to these things. So we know that sin has alienated us from God and from each other and we can't do anything about it. And this is what, and this is how we are restored to our Father. God in his mercy takes our sin in the gospel. He takes our sin and the due punishment that we deserve and calls us children of God. Time's up. (laughs) And he set the spirit in our hearts by which we cry, Abba, Father. He has made us family. And just as Jesus left the perfection of heaven to travel to this fallen earth to represent his father to us, Jesus is really the ambassador that we need. And he is the one that has sent us also this ministry of reconciliation. And Jesus said that he did not come to be, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we know that God has performed this. It's his work that has transformed, has changed who we are. And now we're able to live in the power, the continued power of the good news of what God has done as we embody and live out um, these new lives. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for doing this. Father, what, what an amazing privilege to be part of this. I think of all the places that I could be. And God, if you had left me alone to my selfishness and my own desires, I would be far from you, far from family, far from being a disciple, ambassador of anything or serving. That we recognize your grace. Again, we ask you to help us be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.